And so for the last few weeks, I have been looking at reading stories of children and their point of view from when they have been adopted by a family. And there are so many amazing, wonderful stories of children who were in orphanages, children who were, uh, never knew their parents, children in foster care systems, and to see the, the, them talk or to write about or someone record the moment that they found out that they were adopted, and the joy is just, it's unspeakable. I was watching a news a clip of a girl, 11-year-old, and uh, the family that was adopting her was in court, and she had been waiting, and they knew that she couldn't wait, and so when the adoption was final and it was done, they called the school, and the school called her in the office, they showed this video as she found out that she was adopted, and she would not let go of the secretary. She was at such joy. She's hugging the secretary. I mean, she's got all this joy and excitement because she now has parents that have adopted her as her own. Pictures of children finding out about adoption. Wow, it's astounding. And so I wrote this as the big idea this morning as we look at Galatians 4. Unspeakable joy and thankfulness belongs to those who were once slaves and are now sons and daughters of God. Would you look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7? It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, the word of God. Father, I ask that in this moment, actually, Lord, it's good to just say Father, that we can call you Father. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning about the work you've done to make us your own. Jesus, thank you that you would give your life to redeem us from slavery so that we could be sons and daughters of God. And Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that as you work in our hearts, that we would be filled with the joy that comes from knowing you, the joy from knowing the truth of the word of God, the joy from knowing that we have a heavenly father who loves us greatly. Father, would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage in Galatians chapter 4, what the Apostle Paul does is he uses something that would be well known to the people in Galatia that he writes to. He writes to the Christians that are in Galatia and he's addressing false teaching. 
And, and in a summary, the false teaching that's being brought to the Christians is you need to add things to your faith. So you need to get circumcised and you need to follow these laws. And he's like, no, don't go back to those things. Um, and he points people to the gospel of Christ that were saved by the work of Christ. And here in the, the midst of this letter, chapter four, um, again, that uh, there was no chapters and verse. And that's why we'll go back and look at chapter three here as well. But he talks about something that would be known in culture. So look at verses one through three as we look at what he talks about children and slaves. He says, you once were slaves. And he is writing about the status of the person before the work of Christ that has been done at the cross um, to change them. In verse one, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So what is he writing about here? He talks about a child. It can literally mean an infant here that is too young to be able to receive or not, not necessarily receive, but to manage an inheritance that the father has for that son. Um, in the first century and also in the Roman culture that a, uh, we don't have this type of uh, Changeover from a child to adult here in the United States very clearly, but in that culture, uh, that a, a father can have a son, and at some point, when the father said it was the right timing, there would be a ceremony in which this child, that's a son, is officially said, Now you're an adult, you're a man. And they would take the child's toga from him and give him an adult one. But there was this ceremony or this time when that would transition. But before that time came, if you had a person as described here who has a house and property and, and things that they own, the person also, as Paul describes, has slaves who are part of the household. Different from the sense of slavery that we've seen in America in our history. Uh, this picture of these slaves that worked with the master, could have a relationship or not, could work for their freedom, but they would manage the household. And here even, as a child, it says in verse 2, under the guardians and managers, a child, a son that would have this inheritance that is a baby, had to be cared for. And so a child could have been cared for even by the slaves, by the guardians put over them, while the managers are taking care of the property until the son comes of age and the father says it's the right timing that he would receive the inheritance. And so he says a child or here an infant, but he also has slaves who would have no inheritance. They would be owned by the master, but they would not have any inheritance uh, and there is this similarity that he points out and a difference that the child is like the slave when they're young like that. They don't have this inheritance that they're owning and having authority over the difference, though, that he points out is that the slave has no inheritance, but the son does look with me at verse three. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So now, in verse 3, he connects it to the Christians he's writing, and not just saying, hey, a son, a father, a slave, and here's how this works. He's saying, we are like that 
picture. In the same way we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It's important that you know he's writing this letter to Christians. Those uh, uh, people who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And there's this battle that they're having being taught by false teachers to add certain works and things to um, for that. And he's addressing the this. But he says before Christ, before Christ, you're like this picture in which he gives of being enslaved to these elementary principles. And so what could this be? If he's writing to Jewish Christians, it could be a slavery or being enslaved to legalism and to the law of God. And this fact that no one can keep the law and being a slave to that. To the Christian Gentiles, if he was writing to them, it would be this picture of being enslaved to pagan religions. Or as he writes to the church of Corinth, I believe it's in in 1 Corinthians, where he says um, that Gentiles giving sacrifices to idols are really uh, doing that to demons. They're worshiping uh, other demons or being enslaved to things uh, like the elements of the world of earth, air, fire, water. But this worship um, of pagan religions, he says, this is what we were enslaved to these things before. The work, which we'll look at here in just a moment. It's important, though, to know of that state of enslavement to understand how great the work of God and the adoption means to us. If you think about the things that you're enslaved to before coming to faith, the elementary principles, think about the way you saw, viewed, thought about life. How you thought about life and death. How you thought about how you should live your life. What it was that you ran after, chased after, devoted your time, money, and energy to. This is before Christ. Those are the things that you were enslaved to. Which he says, hey, this is a horrible picture. In summary, though, the enslavement, as the Word of God teaches, is is enslavement to sin. That we're not children of God, that we're children of Satan, we're children of wrath, that we're actually people who only desire to sin. As when you go back and look at the book of Genesis and uh, the time when God sent the flood in Genesis, I believe it's chapter six, and God saw that all that mankind did was wickedness. That is your status that Paul's pointing to the church here that you were enslaved to before the work of God. Look at Galatians chapter 3. They're just maybe back a page or so for you. In Galatians chapter 3, there's some great good news in which the believer that's in, the person that's enslaved becomes changed and is given a new life by the work of God. Galatians chapter 3 verse 20 23. Go to the right chapter. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when we go to chapter 4, where we were just reading about guardians and managers, he Right as we just read in chapter 3, it's a picture of being under the law of God. And in, in this picture of becoming a son or a daughter of God, a child of God, comes with that an inheritance. And with that, we have to ask the question, how does this happen? How can a person who's enslaved to the things of this world, enslaved to sin and enslaved to death, how can a person like that be made a son or a daughter of a holy, righteous God who in there is no sin and cannot have sin and cannot be in a relationship with sin? Do you see how big a problem it is for every single one of us born into this world? Yes, no. It's a bad picture when you look at who you are before Christ, but yet our world wants to diminish that and say, well, we're not that bad. We still do good things. And maybe there's things that you do good to moral things to help other people. But the reality of God's word, though, this says that we're wicked. We're enemies of God. We're children of Satan, children of wrath. That's a horrible picture. And if you can get that picture from Scripture, would you read about the work of God and the adoption that He does when He says it? It means so much more. And it's so much more glorious. And you're so filled with joy because you're like, that's what I was. This is what I am now. And all the glory goes to God. So you have to ask the question, how does this happen? As we just read there, let's look now at connecting to this in verses 4 through 5. The second thing that we see in verse 4 through 5 is redemption and adoption. This is what we see. They're beginning there in chapter 3, verse 23 through verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, now you are sons. Now you are daughters of our heavenly father. And he lays out what God has done, the work that God has done in Christ. The law that was given to his people, if you go all the way back when God gave the law to his people, and remember Moses and the Ten Commandments and all those things laid out, out for his people, God never intended that in this sense to be enforced forever. Well, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. How do we know that? We look at the first declaration of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. The fall has come upon mankind and the world. God puts a curse upon Adam, a curse upon Eve, a curse upon Satan. And in this, we see the first declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel as he declares this to Satan, pointing to the future when Christ would come and at the cross and the empty tomb crush and defeat Satan. 
Except this point. When we have this declaration that the law that God had gave to be a guardian, to be a manager over the people, there would be a moment in time when this would change. If you look at verse 4 in Galatians 4, it says, but when the fullness of time had come. If you've been here the last two Sundays, I've read this text as we, as we looked at the birth of Christ, the advent of Christ, because this speaks of the birth of Christ, Christmas, which we just celebrated. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his what? What's it say? God sent forth his what? His son, born of woman, born under the law. Now, these are important for us to make sure you don't just pass over this because Christmas is over. When Paul was again writing to these people, when that son of the dad, when he got to the right point, the father was the one who's like, okay, the son is ready. The time is set. Let's have the ceremony. And now my son is a man and he now has all authority to rule over the inheritance that I have set before him. And here you have that picture. God sent forth his son at an appointed time. We celebrate as Christmas or Advent to celebrate that birth of Christ. It says in the fullness of time. People for years have always asked, why did Jesus come at that time? Why didn't God send Jesus before, right after the fall? Or why didn't God send Jesus now when we have all this technology so the world can just see and know instantly? We cannot answer that other than the fact that God had a plan before the foundations of the earth. And this was his plan. This was the perfect timing. This was the fullness of timing. We don't know why it was then. But it was at that moment that God sent his son Jesus on a mission to be born into this world. It says there in the fullness of time. Look at verse 4. God sent forth his son. You can highlight that, underline that. There's an appointed person, the Son of God, and Paul is making a very clear picture for the person who reads this, that Jesus Christ is God. If you read that, it's God's Son. And we could spend time, we know that Jesus is not created. He's not a created being. He's always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect unity but God sent his son pointing to the fact that Jesus born in the manger is God almighty. <clears throat> but look at what he says there in verse four. Born of a what? Does it say? Born of a woman. Who's that woman? We were just looking in the last month. Who is it? What's her name? Mary. Mary. This is a picture that there's this incarnation that must happen for adoption for any of us. And so God sends his son, Jesus, who is fully God, but yet God can't die. Did you know that? God can't die. If God dies, he's not God. Therefore, God sends his son, who is God, who must therefore put on full humanity. Therefore, Jesus, fully God, fully man could then therefore physically die. And therefore we look to the cross. Jesus, by being fully God and fully man, could then dare die for us in our place. 
for our sins. And, and God had promised this to Abraham. A month ago we saw this, and if you look in Galatians chapter 3, it's a reminder of where we were about a month ago. Now to the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say, and two offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So God had promised this. The, the declaration of good news in the garden and saying, hey, this, this, this one will come to Abraham. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you this land and a people. And from that people, you're going to bless the nations because you will have a person, a son, a, a relative down the line who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law. And therefore, because Jesus is also God, being one without sin. Do you see there back in verse 4? Born under the law. Jesus is the only one who could ever live in this world and keep the law. I mean, take just like two hours of your day and try to like obey the law perfectly on your own. Go for a week and you think of these things where you go, go back before you came to Christ. How did you try to be right before God? You fail all the time. It's because we're born with a sin nature. Therefore, God sending his son Jesus, as we spent the last couple of weeks, being born because he's God and adding man, he lived a perfect life. Did Jesus ever sin? Man, that should be a quick no. The word of God teaches Jesus never sinned. Because if he sinned, he could not pay the penalty on the cross. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God who takes away our sins. And therefore, born under the law, Jesus could obey it perfectly. He could fulfill the law. And therefore, he could go to the cross. What we see in verse 5, there's an appointed purpose of what is in, in, Jesus, in God sending the Son Jesus. It says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God sent Jesus to end slavery. He sent Jesus to end slavery to sin and to death and to eternal death and to wickedness and to end slavery to sin and the chains of sin. Because if you look at your life before Christ, all you ever wanted to do was sin. You could not break free of sin. The chains of sin were bound tightly around you. All you ever wanted to do was sin. But the purpose was to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons in the sense of to buy a slave out of the slave market. This picture of what Christ did at the cross to make us his own, to make it possible that you could be a son and a daughter of God. It comes down to this, what he did. Turn to Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. He did this work to purchase you at the cross by shedding his blood to not cover your sins, but to remove your sins. Therefore, when you come to Christ in faith in him, you're given, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So the heavenly father sees you as his own because he sees the righteousness of Christ and he doesn't see any sin. He doesn't see any darkness in you. He doesn't see any of the wickedness because Christ has removed it so that you can be one of the father's children Turn back to Galatians. We just read this. I believe we read this a minute ago in chapter 3. No, we didn't. Galatians 3 verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we know from Isaiah that it pleased the heavenly father. Not only to send his son on a mission, but when the son was nailed to the cross and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he became sin, that Jesus became your sin, that God the Father saw the son and he saw sin. And Isaiah says it pleased him to punish or crush his son. You go, whoa, that's heavy. But God the Father did that and he poured out his wrath and Jesus was willing and was able to do that, to take our place and to purchase us with his blood shed. And there in verse 5 that we read, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The second part of that purpose was in order to adopt us. God did all that. Jesus went through all of that so that you could be adopted. Nothing for you to do. All for God to do. And to make you his own. We did read Galatians 3. Look at verse 25 and 26. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Your status is changed when you come to faith in God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a son, a daughter of God Almighty with all of the rights and privileges. I mean, think of, uh, uh, of, 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 I don't know, the best earthly father that you can think of and how they bless their children. I mean, that's this status change that happens to all who are in Christ and God, the heavenly father, who's the greatest father, who has the greatest blessings, pours those out before his children. I mean, think for a minute of the riches of our Heavenly Father. How rich and wonderful He is and what He offers to us. And the way that we know these things is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verses 6 and 7, we find assurance of God's love. I don't know about you, but have you ever, it's okay to say yes, I have or not, but you ever like, God, God, am I saved? You ever ask that question? God, am I one of your children? 
You ever, you ever felt bad, horrible after something you did? And you're just like, oh, man, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Or, you know, it's like you, you have these feelings and these emotions because of sin in our world. And, and I would say the number one question I've asked in the last 20-something years in ministry is, what is God's will for my life? And number two, how do I know that I'm saved? And because we're in a fallen world, these things, we think this way. And, and we're not glorified yet. So our minds haven't been completely fixed in the sense of where we understand this fully. And so we wrestle with the sin of this world, the fallenness of this world. And the wonderful thing is Paul doesn't just say, hey, you're adopted. Uh, you know, but look at here's the assurance of this. Look at verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A, a, a Christian is no longer that infant child with no inheritance. They're to this point of adulthood and been given this right of being a child of God with all the privileges and all the benefits and the inheritance set before them in Christ. We've gone from darkness to light. In Christ, we've gone from being an enemy to a child. And so one of the things that you see Paul laying out for us, he's saying, because you have that assurance, live like a child of God now. Don't wait for heaven. Don't wait for glory. You're to live like one of the children of the King of Kings, our Heavenly Father, now. You go, well, how does that happen? Well, he says right there that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. One, if you want assurance that God has made you a child of his, of your, of, of his own, that only comes by the Holy Spirit. The, the term Abba, Father, uh, this term Abba, it, it, it can mean a term of endearment. So maybe you call your, dad, your, your father dad or daddy or something else that it's this... When you, when you call him that, it, there's this relationship, there's this love, there's this connection there. And only Christians can call God their heavenly father, Abba. Jesus in, in Mark chapter 14, in the garden, the night before he goes to the cross, when he's in the garden, they sweat in those drops of blood, and he knows that he's going to have the wrath of God because he's going to be made sin. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So the Holy Spirit enables us after faith in Christ, to call him Abba, Father. And the Holy Spirit in your life is evidence that you are an heir, that you are a son or daughter. John chapter 14, verses 14 through 18. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The proof of your sonship, the proof of your adoption is found in the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. 
giving you the ability to understand the wonderful truths of God that we have for us in the Bible, the Word of God. And therefore, you can call God Father. And you think about this. I, I know that as a child, I used to pray a lot like this. Uh, Dear Jesus, or, or I pray God, uh, Lord. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. How does he start off the prayer? Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. To have the right to call God Father is an amazing thing. Because if you look at all the religions of this world and all the false teachings of this world about who God is, God is always a God who is far off. He's always a God who wants to destroy people who don't follow what he wants. They don't have a picture of any God who is a loving father and has children. But yet, if you're in Christ, you can call God Abba. Father. And I would say one thing while we reflect on that for a minute. Too many people in this world say, we're all God's children. You ever heard that? You ever heard some songs, different things like, oh, we're all God's children. Okay, let's make sure we get this correct. Um, I can understand why the statement, yeah, God creates all mankind. Everyone is given life because God gives life. So I can hear people say, oh, we're all God's children. But the word of God says that because of sin, back in the garden, down to every single one of us, we're children of Satan, we're children of wrath, we're wicked enemies of God. Only those who are in Christ, as Paul writes here in Galatians 4, are adopted and therefore only are the ones who can have the title of a child of God. Only those in Christ can be called a son or daughter of God. And so the Holy Spirit does a work when we're saved at the point of what we call justification and as we're adopted and made our own, the Holy Spirit floods our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our hearts and seals us book of Ephesians, we spent time this year, year ago or so on, that we're sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when I think of, as we were singing a few minutes ago about God, about Jesus, our great shepherd, and how he keeps us and protects us, read John chapter 10, because Jesus says, I am not going to lose my people. The Heavenly Father is not going to lose his people. Satan cannot snatch any of God's children out of his hand because God is mighty and sovereign. So, uh, you know, I I think I used to believe that as a that as a Christian you could lose your salvation and and you could sin enough and do these things or Satan could do this but yet that's so contradictory to the word of God when he redeems you and signs your adoption paper with the blood of Jesus Christ that means you're his forever. Amen. Amen. And you can't be lost. And yet we still struggle with living a holy life and, and we still struggle with sin. You know, I, you know, I wrote a note down here that here in verse six and seven, he's saying, hey, don't go back to slavery. Live like a child of God. This is what he goes on in verse nine. He's like, hey, 
Don't go back to the way you used to live. Don't go back to being a slave. Don't add these rules to your life because that's not what a child of God does. Live and walk in the grace of God. Walk in holiness because you are holy. But yet here's the problem. We still battle with sin, right? And we're waiting for the day of glorification when sin is completely removed from us. And so we still battle with sin and therefore at times in our walk as a child of God, we don't feel holy. Those are the times more than ever we need to turn to the word of God and be reminded that we're adopted and be reminded that God dwells in our hearts and reminded that Jesus loves us so greatly that he gave his life for us and be reminded that he's not in the tomb and he's rose again and Jesus has conquered Satan's sin and death and Jesus Christ dwells in us and we dwell in him and therefore we're to bear fruit and we have all these spiritual blessings now and in the future. I mean, that's all in scripture. Last verse, verse seven. So you, in summary, are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a glorious truth to hold to. In a troubled world, a dark world, and the problems that we see and face, To be able to hold to the truth, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the Lord God Almighty. What What a joyful thing. What a wonderful thing. And we must be reminded of that daily. And I think that sometimes because of our worldly experiences of just our life growing in this world, it is hard for some to call God Father because of their earthly fathers that they've had relationships with. And again, the only way that I could tell you to solve that issue would be to go to the Word of God and read what the Scriptures say from the front to the back about a heavenly Father who loves you so greatly. Some people might ask the question, why? Why? Why would God adopt me? Because he loves you. Ephesians says that he chose to adopt you, to love you, to make you his own. Just because it's his choice to do so. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As the worship team comes forward, I want you to think for a minute and reflect upon the wonderful truth of adoption, the work that God has done in your life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of him, be reminded this morning that, yes, heaven awaits you. But it's not the streets of gold that we're excited about. It's Jesus Christ. The joy is being glorified with him, seeing him face to face having eternal life with him. That's our inheritance. That's our joy. And yes, heaven sounds like a wonderful place. And the new heavens and earth, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But those are just extras. We get Jesus. And we get to be with him forever. Jesus says this in John chapter 1. Actually, I'm sorry. John writes this in John chapter 1. 
Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, I pray that in this moment, that those who are followers of you in this room, that they would um, know more fully this morning what it means for the work that you did at the cross to adopt them and make them your own. I pray that you would flood their hearts with joy this morning for knowing you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to not go back to living in slavery of the things of this world or trying to add anything to their salvation, but that they would simply rest on you and your word and the work, Holy Spirit, that you do in our lives. Father, would you flood their hearts and minds this morning with just a host of things to be thankful for in you. And Father, for all those who are far off from you today, I pray if they're in this room that they would come to salvation today, that you would save them, that you would forgive them, that you would adopt them, that you would make them your own, and that they would rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful truths from your word. In Jesus' name.